Today on Blue 58, you may have heard that the Packers' Week 18 game is meaningless. Heck, you may have even heard it on this very podcast. But Matt LaFleur does not agree, and he might have a point. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. We're going to talk about the Packers' Week 18 game here in just a second. But first, we're going to welcome some guys back to the lineup and talk about a national award that has been getting some national attention this week. You may have heard that the MVP discussion has really begun in earnest. It's been a topic of some conversation this week. And look, I've really got no interest in commenting on Mr. Hub Arkish or on Aaron Rodgers' response to him, other than to say that disclosing your voting intentions seems like a bad look any bad idea because it casts some unfortunate aspersions on the entire process. But I think there's a bigger problem here with the MVP because it's a dumb award. If you're really honest with yourself, you can really only make the case that MVP can go to a quarterback. If somebody has an incredible season, then they get into the conversation, but it still comes down to making a case of why someone should win it instead of a quarterback. And it's easy to see why. Quarterbacks are far and away the most valuable players on a given team. They have the biggest part in determining a team's fortunes. Not the only thing, but it's it's a big part of it. So if you're going to have a most valuable player award, we've already got a problem if we're trying to include the whole league on this. But in addition to that, not everybody can agree on what value means. So there was a big push early this week talking about Rodgers' efficiency numbers and how that far and away makes him the best MVP candidate. And then Pro Football Focus comes in and cites a whole bunch of things. Their war stat, which has a whole bunch of problems. Uh, Tom Brady's volume numbers, which if you've listened to this podcast at all, you should know that volume numbers are a terrible way of determining how valuable a person is to a given team. They've talked about wins. They've talked about how many points a team scores. Honestly, it's probably some combination of all of those things. But what combination? What is the most valuable? We don't know what the voters are using to determine that. And Hub Arcus showed that some of them are using really bad standards for determining that. So here's my solution. Get rid of the MVP. Nobody can agree on what valuable means. It's impossible pretty much for anybody other than a quarterback to win it. So let's get rid of it. Can it? Instead, we're going to solve this problem with awards by having a whole bunch more of them. We're going to have Offensive Player of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year. Those will stand or stay carryover from our current current arrangement. We're going to get rid of Miss Valuable Player, though. But we are going to add a position-specific award for every position in the game. We're going to have Best Quarterback. We're going to have best running back. We're going to have best wide receiver. We're going to have best tight end. We're going to have best offensive lineman. You could even get specific. You want to go like college football and have the best center do the be- the Remington Award? Sure, we can do that. We're going to have the best defensive lineman. We're going to have the best edge rusher. We're going to have the best linebacker. We're going to have the best cornerback, the best safety, the best kicker, the best punter. We're going to do all of them. And we're going to name all of those awards after certain guys. Historic, legendary players from the NFL. The Johnny Unitas quarterback of the year. The Peyton, Walter Payton running back of the year award, so on and so on. But we're, we're still going to have debates about who is the best player, but we're going to confine it to within positions. 
I don't like debates where we involve ranking things because I think that's a pointless waste of time given the contextual differences from one player to another, one player's circumstances to another. But I think recognizing players on a position-specific level is a worthwhile trade-off. And if you start bringing more attention to guys other than quarterbacks, that seems like a win too. So let's get rid of the MVP. Let's talk about guys on a position-specific level. Sound like a good trade? I think so. Packers returned several guys to practice today, among them potential MVP Aaron Rodgers, who was practicing in the middle of the week for the first time since October, which is pretty remarkable. Also joining him on the practice squad today was Josh Myers and Randall Cobb. The Packers are getting healthier. David Bakhtiari practiced yesterday but did not practice today, and Matt LaFleur talked a little bit about his status after practice. Dave had a, had a great work yesterday. And just part of our plan was to have him go yesterday, today he'll condition, and then we'll, we'll have him back out there tomorrow. So I guess that was prior to practice, but he did conditioning today. He will be on the field practicing tomorrow, and there is a chance, a chance, however small, that he could play some on Sunday. We'll figure out more about that either today or Saturday as you're listening to this today, assuming it's Friday when you're listening. But it seems that David Bakhtiari is on his way back. A little bit later than I anticipated, but headed back, it seems, maybe this week. And if he's a maybe for this week, you got to think he's, he's going to be good to go for the divisional round. So what effect does he have when he is back in the lineup? We've talked about shifting guys around on the offensive line a little bit. We'll get a little bit more con- uh, concrete information about that when the time comes for Bakhtiari to be in the lineup, though I don't imagine we are going to figure out exactly what the Packers are going to do in terms of people other than David Bakhtiari until we see them on the field in the divisional round. My preference, I think, as of today would be Bakhtiari at left guard or left tackle. That'd be a sight to see, wouldn't it? Yet we're going to leave Yash Nyman at left tackle and we're going to insert David Bakhtiari at left guard. No, it's going to be Bakhtiari at left tackle, John Runyon at left guard, Josh Myers at center, Billy Turner at right guard, and Dennis Kelly at right tackle. I think that is the Packers' best five right now. And it solves a lot of problems for you. It solves David Bakhtiari not being on the field, big one. It stabilizes the center position a little bit more. It certainly upgrades right guard, and it doesn't leave you with that much of a drop-off at right tackle. I think that's probably the best five right now. If Billy Turner can come back, I think you bring him back at guard. But if he can't come back, I think the Packers are perfectly fine with Dennis Kelly at right tackle and Royce Newman at guard because if the other guys are back out there, if it's Bakhtiari out there at left tackle, if it's Josh Myers at center, you can shore up one weak spot on your offensive line. And if you're not super comfortable with Newman, you can just sub in Lucas Patrick at right guard. I feel pretty comfortable with Lucas Patrick at this point in his career, too. A follow-on question to this comes from Ray Sepay Bay in our Discord server. He asks, do you see our offense changing dramatically if, hypothetically, a fully healthy top-form David Bakhtiari returns? Or does it simply act as a protection against top-level pass rush from the left we're likely to see in the playoffs? So I think it's more than just more than just a better pass blocker at left tackle. 
but it's not a wholesale change for the offense. I don't think you're looking at a substantial change for the offense overall, but I think if you look for one thing, it'd be less heavy personnel. Right now, the Packers frequently use Mercedes Lewis essentially as another offensive lineman, basically a sixth offensive lineman, because with less experienced players, maybe not less experienced in the case of of Dennis Kelly, but uh, just bigger question marks than they would have had otherwise, having Mercedes Lewis out there gives you a lot of extra protection in the passing game. With the trade-off that you have fewer pass catchers available. Because with with Mercedes Lewis staying into block, think about the math. You've got five offensive linemen normally, plus Aaron Rodgers, who's not in the out in the pattern, leaving you five potential pass catchers against, I don't know, just look at standard defense, at least five defensive backs, maybe six. But if you're leaving Mercedes Lewis in, Between the five offensive linemen, Aaron Rodgers and Lewis, suddenly you're up to seven. You're down to four eligible receivers. That's still a pretty fair fight, given that you have Aaron Rodgers, and one of those receivers is Devontae Adams. But it starts messing with your numbers a little bit because it gets easier for teams to do things like double-team Devontae Adams. But with David Bakhtiari out there, they can probably run a bit more light personnel. Or, at the very least, get Mercedes Lewis lumbering out into the pass pattern. That helps tilt the numbers back in the offense's favor a little bit. That, I think, is the only substantive schematic change the Packers are likely to make with Bakhtiari out there. That's not to say there couldn't be others. That is the one that comes to mind right off the bat. But with Bakhtiari heading back into the lineup, we're faced with a significant question. Should the Packers play their star players? Should the Packers play their star players in a meaning meaningless game? First, we've got to take on that question of whether or not this game is or is not meaningful. And if you think that this game doesn't mean anything, you are technically right. The Packers can't gain anything from this game. But Matt LaFleur disagrees with you. Yeah, despite what uh, um, I would say that the public opinion... This is a long quote, by the way. He's going to be talking for a while, so I will just restart it. it just brace yourself. It's it's about a minute long. Yeah, despite what uh, um, I would say that the public opinion is, it, it's not a meaningless game. I told you guys exactly what we told our players. We want to keep the momentum going. And so you have to approach it like you do every other game. Because if you don't go out there and play your best, you're going to get your butt whooped. We saw it a couple weeks ago. Detroit destroyed Arizona, and they took uh, they beat Minnesota right at the end of the game. And you just look at how they played at home. Outside of I know there was the Cincinnati and Philly games, but if you look at how they battled and came back in Week One versus San Francisco 49ers, and shoot, they had Baltimore on the ropes. So this is a team that plays well at home. I know they're going to be highly motivated to give us everything they have. And so our guys are going to prepare as such um, like they would every other week. So Matt LaFleur doesn't think it's meaningless just because of the effort you are likely to get from the Detroit Lions. But buried in that quote is another thing that I think has some merit. He talks about maintaining momentum. And I think 
momentum is a tricky thing to talk about because it's it's hard to quantify. But I think what it boils down to is talking about staying in your routine. Think about if you've ever trained for a sporting event. Well, the best example might be training for a race. If you have ever run like a 10K or a 5K or whatever and gone through a training program, you know that they try to work it so you're peaking towards race day. You've got this routine where you're building towards a certain thing at a certain time. Football is a lot like that, except the the peaking cycles are shorter. You're trying to peak every single week. You're trying to build towards Sunday every single week. You're in your routine. You're preparing for the same things. You're getting ready to play and go down. And you kind of, if if you're on a football team, you get into this rhythm of going through that each and every week. And you're do, you're playing at a you're, you're operating at a pretty high level, uh, kind of in waves. But you you keep the effort level high, though focused on different things throughout the week. I think what Matt Lafleur is concerned about, and I think not without merit, is the idea of taking a substantial part of your roster and just gearing out of that cycle of peaking week in and week out for a few weeks at a time here. The Packers are already going to be without a game for at least one week. And we're going to go essentially three weeks between games that can really impact the standings. I think he wants to avoid falling out of that rhythm of trying to peak every Sunday or Saturday, as the case may be, heading into the playoffs. So he's trying to protect that routine for as much of the team as possible. Is that the right thing to do? I lean towards yes. And I understand the injury risk. Obviously, that's a concern. It could potentially ruin your entire season. But injuries can and will happen elsewhere. Think about David Bakhtiari. Where did he tear up his knee last season? In practice, in a non-contact drill. And that has now affected two seasons now. Injuries are a real concern, sure. But in the grand scheme, it's got to be just about equal to completely throwing off your entire routine and potentially playing a bad game just because you haven't played in a while. I mean, what would you rather have? Come out healthy and playing bad or come come out a little bit banged up and still focused and dialed in? Probably the second one, short of a devastating injury to someone like Aaron Rodgers. So I think you kind of have to grit your teeth and just hope for the best with Aaron Rodgers and see what happens. But there's also this. The Packers don't have just a ton of guys they can rest without completely punting on the game. So you've got guys like Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, sure. And if he plays, he'll probably get, you know, 15, 20 snaps on the high end from David Bakhtiari. But also think of all the places where the Packers are already stretched pretty thin. Which offensive lineman do you want to sit? You're already on, if David Bakhtiari doesn't play, your third-string left tackle, your second-string left guard, your second- or third-string center, depending on how you count, Royce Newman at right guard, just the stalwart as we've all come to to understand him to be, and your second-string right tackle. You're pretty thin there already. You're pretty far down the depth chart. So how much do you want to compromise that if you're trying to just play a football game? What about in the secondary? We've seen them in small doses. How many reps do you think Isaac Yadam should get? Safety group, kind of the same thing. They've resisted playing Vernon Scott to this point when they didn't have to. 
You want him out there again? What's the point? If they if they know what they've got in him, what are they trying to do other than just stay completely healthy? A real concern, but sure, for sure. But if you're trying to play together as a defense, having guys like that out there is kind of undermining your goal too. My point is, even if the Packers do rest their big guns, there are still going to be more than a few big names out there, some starters, some guys who play a lot of reps. So no matter who's playing on Sunday, cross your fingers. Because injury concerns aren't going away, even if Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers are on the shelf. What about Jordan Love, though? Jordan Love, I think, has to play this week. There's really no reason to not get him out there. And Matt LaFleur has already spoken a little bit about some of the things he's looking for in in Jordan Love heading into this week. Rob Domovsky in uh, LaFleur's presser today asked what I thought was an astute question, uh, saying, you know, what, what is Love improved on since he saw him playing against the Chiefs, having not really taken any, any starters reps heading into that game. Uh, this, you know, the past couple months since then, the past while since then, he's been taking basically number one reps the entire time because Aaron Rodgers' foot has been hurt. So what's changed? And Lafleur talked a little bit about what's changed, but also what he's going to be looking for if and when Love plays this weekend. I would say in every facet of just understanding what we're trying to get accomplished on each and every play, I think the consistency with his footwork, because I always think footwork is the foundation of good quarterback play um, and how, how you let your feet take you through your reads and making sure that your eyes match your footwork. And so I just think that those are valuable reps that he's been able to get during practice, and hopefully that translates if he gets an opportunity to play. So Lafleur's going to be watching for footwork. I think that's a, a great thing that we can try to be watching for too. But more, more to the point, I'm going to be watching for a Jordan Love-specific game plan on Sunday. What is a Jordan Love game plan? I think it starts with what it isn't. It's not the Aaron Rodgers offense run by Jordan Love. We saw the problem with trying to do that when the Packers played the Chiefs. The game plan for most of that game basically asked Jordan Love to diagnose blitzes like Aaron Rodgers. They came out just trying to run their normal stuff, and the Chiefs said, all right, if that's how it's going to be, you're getting everything. Here it comes. What are you going to do? Counting on the fact that Jordan Love has not seen a lot of NFL-caliber blitzes, at least, I mean, not from behind center, and they figured he wasn't going to be able to process that. You can run your normal game plan against that kind of defense when you have Aaron Rodgers. Because Jordan Love has great physical tools, Because, but he is not Aaron Rodgers yet. And he's not Aaron Rodgers or even a plus version of Jordan Love because he hasn't had the time to become that yet. Development is one thing, but experience is another. And recognizing blitzes and responding, that stuff is experience and that stuff takes time. Remember what Chris Collinsworth was saying about Aaron Rodgers during the Vikings game. He was talking about how Harrison Smith told them that it was almost impossible to play against Rodgers because there's nothing you can do to surprise him. He's seen everything. And I love the anecdote that he got out of Harrison. I would have just been licking my chops if I was in that production meeting and, and he said something like that to me. I just wouldn't have hardly been able to wait 
to say something to to relay that on air. But the anecdote that Harrison Smith gave them that they had a blitz called or some sort of coverage called and Rodgers comes to the line and recognizes what's going when they haven't even started moving yet. They had some sort of late shift prepared. And he points at Harrison Smith and says, you come down here. That's where you're going, right? And Smith said he had no choice. He just kind of had to hang his head and walk there. Yeah, that's that's where I was going to go. All right, well, this isn't going to work. That's something that Rodgers has that Love doesn't have, just because he hasn't had time to do that. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have skills. The Packers thought he was worth a first-round pick for a reason, we think. So what do the Packers do with Love this week? How do they construct a Jordan Love game plan? I'm not an X's and O's guy as much as, you know, a, a philosophical sort of guy, I should say. I can't give you specific plays that should be running, but I think we can look at three different types of plays that the Packers Packers should be focusing on for Jordan Love. The first is confidence builders. This is the easy stuff. This is your bread and butter passing game stuff that everybody who is a quarterback on your team should be able to do. This is going to be play action bootleg type stuff and two or three, I think, hot read plays for easy completions. The hot read stuff, I think, is important in addition to just the simple dump off pass type stuff because helping Love practice getting out of bad looks, whether it's a bad fit for the run or a bad route combination based on the coverage you see they have, getting out of that stuff and getting into easy or easier completions is a good way to start that process of getting from the Jordan Love offense into the Aaron Rodgers offense. So that's step one. Call the the confidence builders the easy stuff. Secondly, I think the Packers need to prepare to have a couple showcase pieces for Jordan Love. Top of your head, just think about this for a second. What are three of Aaron Rodgers' best throws. Not specific plays. I'm not looking for, you know, him hitting uh, Randall Cobb to beat the Bears on fourth down, dodging around Julius Peppers thanks to a block from John Kuhn. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for kind of throws. So think in your mind, what are the things that you see Aaron Rodgers doing really well on a regular basis? Here are mine. I've got three. First, a crossing deep shot. Usually it's a guy going across the field towards the deep left corner going right to left, sometimes a double move in there, basically so he can throw it deep and a guy can run under it in that part of the field. This is the Jordy Nelson shot play. More recently, we've seen this a lot uh, from Marquez Valdez-Scantling and occasionally Alan Lazard. Uh, MVS scored a deep touchdown on this in the first Vikings game. It's basically just a deep crosser across the field, uh, like a super extended post route. The second one, I would say, is the what, what he calls the transition go route. Uh, so it's what would normally be a go route, but he throws it early enough uh, that it beats the corner and fits in, fits it in front of the safety, usually against a, a cover two. So um, John Gruden was always good at pointing out the, the holes in a cover two defense uh, when he was in the broadcast booth. He labored, took great pains to call it the uh, the turkey hole during a Thanksgiving broadcast. Nobody actually calls it that, but it's that hole on the sideline in a cover two defense uh, between the corner and a safety. Aaron Rodgers faces a lot of cover two shell, as do a lot of elite quarterbacks, because it prevents them from going deep with the ball. But he, the way that he likes to beat that is by just hammering that hole in the zone. And he did this twice with Devontae Adams on the first drive of the game last week. The third kind of pass that I think we see a lot from Aaron Rodgers that he does really well is a 15-yard dig route, give or take. Uh, go 15 yards down the field, 
cut it straight across or round it straight across the field, running parallel to the line of scrimmage. Alan Lazard had a couple of those. Uh, that's a staple for Devontae Adams, particularly when he's in the slot on the right side going across the field. You can run that with a lot of mesh concepts for, for the Lafleur offense. But those off the top of my head are the three show, three throws that Aaron Rodgers does the best, and so they build a lot of the Packers' offense around that. Two of those three kinds of throws hinge on terrific accuracy. The transition go, fitting it in the, the cover two hole on the sideline, that takes a lot of precision, especially if you want to do it the way that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams do it, put in a back shoulder component. you got to be pretty darn accurate to make that work on a regular basis. That dig route two often involves throwing above a linebacker, below a safety, with a cornerback trailing behind. There was a good example of that kind of route uh, in the Ravens game. I think it was to Marquez Valdez-Scantling just outside the left hash, but he was coming across the formation right to left. Just zips it in there pretty as can be. But boy, is there a small window on a lot of those throws. Terrific accuracy is not necessarily a hallmark of Jordan Love's game, at least not at this point in his career, maybe not ever. But he does have a lot of arm talent. So what can the Packers do to showcase him a little bit? I think you need to take a few shots with Jordan Love. Let him try to work the ball down the field however they can. Whether that's straight go routes to a guy like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, whether it's more schemed up deal to someone like Alan Lazard, who knows. But let him show what he can do. The Packers coaches certainly know what his strengths are. Find those strengths and put in a few of those those pieces that really let him rip it. And I think it probably is going to involve him pushing the ball down the field. Finally, the quick game. If all else fails against the Lions, Lafleur should fall back to his second half game plan from the Chiefs game. Because Jordan Love has shown the ball, shown some aptitude for just getting the ball quickly when he has to. And um, I think that is something the Packers can do to get him some high-quality game reps if it comes to that. If nothing else is working, just have him crank up the tempo, one read and go. Look for the quickest possible out you can and have him just go from there. I think if you incorporate those three kinds of throws into your game plan, the confidence builders, the showcase-type throws, and just quick game if you need it, you're well on your way to having a good game plan for Jordan Love and well on your way towards a game plan that's going to help you get a good look at Jordan Love, which really is the ultimate goal here. If the Packers don't win, that's one thing, not even a very important thing. But if they can get out of that game healthy, having gotten a great look at Jordan Love, that seems like a win to me. What do you think? What do you want to see from the Packers in week 18 against the Detroit Lions on the road in Detroit? Let me know. I'd be interested in your thoughts, and we'll circle back after the Lions game um, to review a few of them if you have them. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you listening in. I appreciate you sharing this podcast with someone. If you enjoyed it, find somebody else you think is going to enjoy it too. Share it with them. It's going to help more people find the show. And that is the number one way that we grow. We don't grow through social media. We don't grow through advertising because who has the time to figure out how to advertise your own podcast on top of making a podcast? We grow through word of mouth. Uh, So if you like the show and you want to help other people find it too, I'd appreciate it if you'd pass it along. I'd appreciate it as well if you would just continue to listen and bring in as many people as you possibly can because that's going to get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, perhaps me especially, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, 
Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.